This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. There's an old saying that Washington is simply Hollywood for ugly people, but every once in a while the Hollywood types come to Washington and pretty things up. That was certainly the case recently when the stars of the Netflix show Queer Eye came to Capitol Hill and visited with the speaker and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but they were also here for a very serious policy reason. And helping us talk about this is Jennifer Shutt at CQ Roll Call. Jen, welcome to Political Theater. Thanks so much for having me. So you had quite the uh, political theatrics set of assignments recently. Uh, the, before the Queer Eyes got to the Capitol, you also covered the absence of Wilbur Ross at an appropriation subcommittee hearing. The Democrats wanted to make a statement because uh, Wilbur Ross had said that he was not going to attend. Uh, and so they just had an empty chair. It, it, was, it was sort of reminiscent of Clint Eastwood talking to an empty chair at the 2012 Republican convention in Tampa. So you, you covered that, which was exciting, right? Oh, so exciting. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of like a Beckett play. It's the empty chair play, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, then you, were, you were good enough also to cover the sort of, it, w- it was kind of a spectacle. I mean, like they, the, the Queer Eye guys like attract a crowd. Oh, absolutely. Like a lot of work stopped around the House chamber when they showed up. Uh, actually, are we being a little generous when we say work uh, around the House chamber? <laughs> like the, these days, I mean, is, is is it really that tough to take a take a little break from a bunch of non-binding resolutions and suspension bills? <laughs> Don't forget about the post office namings. <laughs> That's right, Come the on. post office namings. So serious so, business. It is very serious business. Um, but but let's talk about this. Let's set set the stage for us. You, you usually are not the uh, queer eye correspondent for for CQ or roll call. There was a crowd <laughs> that, that assembled very quickly uh, as soon as these guys uh, showed up. Uh, tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, so they were in Washington, um, and they did a Library of Congress panel mm-hmm. the evening before they were on Capitol Hill, where they were talking about issues with respect to LGBT mm-hmm. youth um, and sort of the show and their lives and that type of thing. And then so they were up on Capitol Hill uh, meeting with a couple mostly Democratic lawmakers. I don't believe they met with any Republican lawmakers as far as I'm aware of, um, but they were sort of, you know, wandering around the House side mm-hmm. of the Capitol. And one of the things I always really enjoy when celebrities come up to Congress is that reporters and staff and lawmakers, we know that building really, really well. We know where all these kind of weird stairways go and the back hallways um, and how to get very quickly from point A to point B. Celebrities don't. Right. <laughs> um, so they were, they were obviously being escorted through the Capitol by lawmakers or staff at, a, at several points in time. But when they went to leave uh, Speaker Pelosi's office, they kind of got turned around a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think they knew someone gave them directions about how to exit, but there was definitely a wrong turn. And so they ended up in this kind of back stairwell with just like dozens of fans crowding in there to take selfies. <laughs> And it really felt almost kind of like a video of when you see like screaming fans following celebrities. Like there were absolutely lawmakers, like not really lawmakers, but, you know, staff. Mm-hmm. And I think a decent amount of reporters who were just like screaming fans after them. <laughs> and also we should mention, too, that there's a decent number of tourists in the Capitol at this time of year, especially the weather's a little warmer. 
Uh, it's towards the end of the week when a lot of like, you know, sort of long weekend guests and so forth come to the Capitol. And so it, it makes it, it demonstrates the, the how the Capitol is not just a workplace, but it's also a tourist attraction. It's also a museum. It's all these kind of things. And then you can just get trapped in these like weird places like, you know, the crypt <laughs> or, or, or like a, a back, the back stairwell that goes from uh, the speaker's office down to the CAO's office or the, or the house physician's office. It has been described a lot of times as Hogwarts, but it really is kind of what you would imagine Hogwarts would be, where you just take a left turn and it's like, oh, I'm in a weird room with a bunch of cages or bathtubs. <laughs> That's exactly how I learned the capital. Yeah. <laughs> By getting lost. L- let's talk about what they were here for. They, they were here to advocate for uh, some legislation, the Equality Act, which would extend uh, non-discrimination practices to uh, uh, people on the basis of gender identity. Right now, uh, uh, federal law, particularly the t- 2010 health care law, prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex. Uh, but this this would extend those protections to transgender individuals, lesbians, gays, and any sort of sexual identity what you would not be able to discriminate. This is a very personal thing, especially to to the to these guys, right? Right, exactly. They are all members of the LGBT community. They do self-identify in different ways, um, but there are still a whole lot of, well, we do have marriage equality now. We don't necessarily have employment protections in a lot of the states, um, and there is no you know, federal law extending those employment protections and a lot of other issues that come up for LGBT people, couples, youth, all of it. And so what the Equality Act would do is under the 1964 Civil Rights Act, it would add sexual orientation and Mm -hmm. gender identity to the list of protected classes to try to kind of provide that blanket protection in these states where the legislatures have not gone forward and said, no, you can't just fire someone because they self-identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. Or, or even in, in other, even outside of employment. I mean, one of the, the advocates has said that, you know, this is actually, this isn't even an abstract thing. There's, there are uh, foster homes who have said that they will not place uh, kids into adopted families or foster homes uh, of LGBTQ uh, parents. And, and that's, that, that's one of the sort of the real life examples of where they say, you know, this, this is why this needs, we, we need to extend these protections. Yeah, I think a lot of people who don't pay particularly close attention to the remaining sort of legal issues within the LGBT community think that when the Supreme Court ruled on marriage equality and LGBT people were allowed to get married, not just, you know, heterosexual couples throughout the entire country, I think a lot of people were like, oh, it's done, equality. But that is absolutely not the case. Right now, too, we have a Fairly serious Democratic presidential candidate, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is openly gay. He is married, uh, and he his husband makes appearances on the campaign trail with him. and And Buttigieg is very open about saying, "By the grace, by the grace of God, and one vote on the Supreme Court, I was able to get married." And since the, <laughs> he got married, Anthony Kennedy, who was that fifth vote in favor of upholding or of striking down the uh, Defense of Marriage Act from the 1990s, uh, has retired and been replaced uh, by Brett Kavanaugh. And so and, and Kavanaugh has, has, doesn't have a long track record in terms of his judicial uh, rulings on, on marriage equality and, and so forth. So this is uh, n- not uh, I mean, public policy is never set in stone, really. It's a series of. Of, of, you know, kind of battles back and forth over like sometimes over decades. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, one of the things that also that struck me that at, at the um, at the library event and, and in some of the more kind of like serious moments with with the Quera guys is that they talked about how um, this is not just a a matter of like somebody maybe having to like just apply for another job. You know, if if you if they wanted to get a you know if if, if they were applying for a job at some I don't know say a hobby shop uh, or something like that and they didn't get there they can just go and across the street to Seven Eleven to uh, apply for a job. It can be a very psychologically damaging thing, particularly to young people, and and can even in some cases lead to suicide. And so like I mean th- again not to be like a downer. Uh, here because this was, you know, their appearance on Capitol Hill was one that was kind of joyous. It was fun. And we've, we even have some, uh, some, some audio and video clips on roll call. Love you too. You know, when people, you know, sort of dismiss celebrity advocates coming to the Hill as just sort of a stunt, um, it, it, it sometimes misses the point of the gravity of, of what they're trying to pay, what they're trying to make people pay attention to and also the seriousness of that. Yeah, LGBT youth issues are one of the more challenging policy areas that Congress is facing, that the administration is addressing in certain ways. Um, And, you know, suicide rates among LGBT youth are far higher than they are among non-LGBT youth. And that is something um, that a lot of nonprofits throughout the country are trying to address um, but it's not really something that we've seen a whole lot of legislation on, and it's not really something we've seen the administration and the Department of Education under Secretary Betsy DeVos be particularly proactive about. And one of the biggest issues, obviously, of contention politically and policy-wise is what to do with respect to transgender youth and how they use the bathroom or the locker room that conforms to their gender identity. Um, And so that is something that is very serious that the guys were talking about at the Library of Congress event. The targeted discrimination that the transgender community continues to face in this administration and and how that affects people's education and bathrooms and things also. And one of the things that they get into throughout the show, which is essentially a makeover show Mm -hmm. for like your for anyone who's not familiar for like the person themselves, their home, um, their kind of sense of self-worth. Right. And so it's one of those issues that they've sort of gone to these areas and like tried to bolster the LGBT uh, community in that area. And not everyone they they have on the show is LGBT. They're obviously heterosexual people as well. But it's definitely something that they've tried to focus on. And I believe it was one of them, I can't remember who at the Library of Congress event kind of made this point that the show, the remake of this show, which is, you know, what they're on, they're not really doing these these makeovers in San Francisco or L.A. or New York or Miami, these kind of protected areas for LGBT people. Right. They're going out and, you know, the first two seasons were in Atlanta, Georgia. The next one was in the third season that came out recently was in Missouri. And sort of their, their point of this is it's really difficult to hate people close up once mm-hmm. you meet them and once you understand their lives and their struggles and things like that. So I think our biggest, biggest ally is is visibility and making sure that we're setting a great example and making sure that we're out there and we're proud and we're showing everyone out there that we are just like everyone else. The show is at its core kind of like a makeover show, but it's also kind of a venue that they are trying to use to, you know, create more tolerance. And I, I I would note too that the you know the evolution of the show sort of demonstrates I think the evolution of on a lot of people's feelings about about gay rights and and LGBT you know Q rights is that you know this started out as a 
you know, a, a show that had a little bit of a cult following on Bravo. And then with Netflix, it has a, a much wider sort of birth. And, and it is, like, as you said, it's going from places that you would expect, you know, gay people to feel very comfortable, San Francisco, Miami, and so forth, into places that they're not. You know, when you look at that, when you look at somebody like Buttigieg and how, like, being gay is really just not a big issue at this point, you know, in terms of his success as a politician, as a mayor, and so forth. Uh, and also just that, that with young people in particular, younger people, I'm talking about, like, say, my stepson, uh, you know, who's 16. I mean, this is a settled issue. I mean, like, gay rights is a settled issue. It may not be with at, at the political level right now um, and people, like, who are older. But for, for his generation, it's, it's over. I mean, like, this is not a question any longer. Yeah, and I think that's definitely something that has been sort of reflected in some, you know, cultural music, TV, movies, that type of thing. But it's still not one of the things that has been sort of translated to the policy level in terms of actual legal protections throughout the entire country. And of course, if you look at this from the the sort of global scale, there are countries where you can still be executed for being LGBT. It's a very interesting time to look at it from, you know, sort of those different perspectives, right? Like younger people who are just like, this is no big deal. Why would you treat a person differently to kind of the older demographics who aren't necessarily ready to address this from a policy standpoint just yet because they're worried they maybe won't be able to fundraise as much or get reelected to kind of that international scale where there are generally places on the earth where you would be like murdered for right. just being who you are. And so uh, about the policy thing, well, just just to sort of wrap up, I mean, like the the this legislation obviously has a little bit more of a comfort zone for Democrats, I mean, like Democrats are more comfortable with it. Some uh, the Republicans at a, at a hearing uh, this week, uh, you know, expressed some reservations about um, what how it affects religious uh, freedom and, and 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 so forth. Whether it runs afoul any laws that allow people sort of conscience clauses and so forth. But it will likely, you know, find a way uh, of passage in the House. But then with the Senate, what are we? I mean, what what are we looking at in terms of like its its chances in the Senate, which is controlled by the Republicans? I don't think we've actually heard any definitive statements from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell yet. But I would be really surprised if he were to bring the Equality Act or something similar to the Senate floor. It just isn't. He's up for re-election in twenty twenty in a much more conservative state than some of his colleagues who are up for re-election in 2020, like Cory Gardner and Susan Collins. But I just don't see this being a vote he wants to put people on the record on. It would also interfere interfere with his ability to confirm more judges. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, of Because that, that's really what the Senate's doing. So, well, Jen, uh, I, I appreciate you uh, uh, unpacking some of the, the uh, sort of the context around this appearance, because Again, celebrity advocates are, are nothing new around Capitol Hill, but like I think that anytime we have a chance to look at like what the issue is surrounding their, their visits and their advocacy, uh, it, it makes us all a little smarter. So thank you very much. Of course. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us. Before we sign off, I just wanted to mention that uh, the hotline number for the National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And also the Trevor Project is a nonprofit organization focused on suicide prevention efforts among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth. And uh, they're, they're, they're both available for uh, any concerns uh, and so forth about, about suicide. Uh, again, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com, or you can find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thanks for listening. <laughs>